development. And right now, one of the buckets I'm filling is this sort of like disruptor kind of, you know, fuck you kind of bucket, which is, you know, everybody's complaining about the sound of pickleball and they're trying to figure out how to make it quieter. And so I'm doing a whole campaign right now where we've got like, I'm doing all these like things where I'm taking stock footage of scientists in laboratories with this little ball that's like bouncing and like vibrating. And it's all about, we're trying to figure out how to make the game louder. Right, right. I love that. So, you know, (laughs) so so it's like, even if we could go, you know, like it's like, there's a shirt that we're working on right now where it's like, I said, FDA says these go to 11. And it's from the uh, spinal tap. From the spinal tap, yeah. Yeah, totally, right? So it's that whole thing. Like we're putting in a tremendous amount of effort into getting it to go just a little bit louder. And then our tagline from the very beginning was always play loud. So it was play loud. That's right. Pickle riot. Play play loud loud and have a riot. That was it. So play loud was built into it from the very beginning. And so it's, it's for us, the more they want it to be quiet, the more we love it. All branding is personal. And it's not about who you say you are. It's about who you are and how you say it. I'm Hirsch Repoon, copywriter, comedian, and brand voice expert. I've helped hundreds of companies fine tune their messaging. And now I'm sitting down with some of the most ambitious and imaginative founders around who share their seven figure stories and their next figure goals. Let's hit the brand voice runway. Taking the brand voice runway is an old friend of mine, although he never looks old. I don't think either of us look old, but Sean Mullins. Sean Mullins is a powerhouse of a creative multi-hyphenate, a designer, director, writer, brand creator. And we will be talking with him today about his new brand, Pickle Riot. But first, let me welcome him to the show. Welcome, Sean Mullins. That was a very gracious introduction, but thank you. Thank you. And I have to tell you, we haven't talked for a really long time. Yeah, I know. I think pre-COVID for sure, maybe even like, you know, I don't know how long ago, but you, your podcast, I mean, not your podcast, but your Instagrams kept me going through COVID. It was like such a dark time. And I remember vividly picking up my Instagram and looking through it and finding you and like laughing or smiling. And it, it made all the difference in the world. So thank you for that. Thank My you. pleasure. And thank you for mentioning it. What I had started for the listeners is something called three times daily comedy, which I thought was like the minimum dose that we needed to keep our sanity during the pandemic. And what else could you do? But like walk around with your phone, talking into your phone, just like talking to yourself and trying to talk yourself through it. But also, Sean, the fact that you were out there watching them was healthy and good for me because it was like, oh, it's like not only is it helping somebody, but it actually we do exist. We are out there. Yeah. Together. Um, yeah, it, 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 uh, not to belabor, belabor the point, yeah. but it just made it just made that whole kind of time feel less isolating, to be honest. But you were out there just living your life, like making observations. And I love the character developments that you started to kind of go into. I just loved all of it. So I, it was for Thank me, you. it was like I woke up in the morning, I'd be like, ah, oh, this is a shitty world that we're living <laughs> in right now. And then I would be like, ah, oh, it's not so bad. There's Hesh doing his thing. So, yeah. <laughs> And by the way, Sean also has an ability to inject positronics and good vibes into everything he does. We worked together on a lot of projects. I represented him for commercials for a while. We did ESPN. We did all kinds of stuff, all kinds of projects, Levi's and 
VWHP. So as a commercial director alone, you're extremely accomplished. But tell me about Pickle Riot. As you can imagine, listener, this centers around the new fascination of pickleball. But I'll let Sean tell the story from his perspective. Well, I'm as you can tell, I've immersed myself in the world of pickleball in the last like year. And I I was a tennis player forever and ever and ever. I just sort of had an injury. I was recovering from an injury. And my friend of mine said, hey, why don't you play some pickleball? And I was like, eh, it's loud. It's it's not not really tennis. So I played it and I was immediately like hooked. I just was. I'm not, I think it was a variety of things. I think that it was, you know, tennis has a sort of more, a culture that surrounds it in most cases. You know, you think of like Wimbledon, you think of everybody's in white and whatever. And even though like club tennis or tennis at like your local club is a little different, it doesn't really have this air about it that pickleball does, which is super inviting, super friendly, easy to learn. And inevitably there's rock music playing somewhere, right? You know, it's like loud music, rock yeah. music playing, people laughing, Nobody, you know, no, nobody taking it too serious in general. And I thought this is a really great sport. Like, I think I need to kind of get into this. And so I started playing. It destroyed my tennis game because it's such a radically different game. And so I, I found I tried to go back to tennis and I just couldn't. And I just thought, you know what, maybe it's time for me to leave it behind. And I started playing pickleball and I loved yeah. it. So, um, but well, let me reason- interrupt you for yeah. one second, Sean, and tell the audience what are the basic rules of pickleball so there's some really funny little rules basically if the quickest and easiest way to think about it if you haven't been exposed to it is it's like ping pong or table tennis combined with tennis and maybe a little bit of volleyball so the the court is about i'd say about half the size of a tennis court somewhere in that zone yeah so there's a lot less real estate you have to cover if you're not interested in running around a lot it's played with a wiffle ball and a hard paddle. These paddles back here, where am I at? These paddles, those are pickleball paddles. So that's the thing you have to get used to. They're like a hard, well, they make them, the technology is getting better, but essentially it's just like a hard paddle. They started off as wood paddles. Now they are composites and fiberglass and all kinds of exotic materials. And a, and a wiffle ball, a really simple, just little, I don't even know if I have one around here somewhere, but oh yeah, one of these little guys. Yeah. The thing that you grew up playing in the backyard with. And so you basically, there's only really a couple of rules. You just have to stay out of an area that they call the kitchen, which is a really fun name. Right. And the kitchen is a bit, basically a three foot area on either side of the net where you're just not allowed to go in there to hit the ball on a fly. You're allowed to go in there if the ball bounces in there. But basically what that does is it prevents you. It's a very slow, sort of a slow moving sport. And it prevents you from going in and just hammering the ball. Yeah, I was going to say, how fast can the ball go if it's a wiffle ball? Oddly enough, it doesn't travel super fast. And if you get hit with it, it's not, you know, not that big of a deal. But the sport's evolving rapidly. And this is a sport. and, And oddly enough, this sport's been around since 1967. It yeah. was invented up in Bainbridge Island, Washington, and these guys just kind of did it one day coming off the bay. They were sailing and they were like, what do we do with the rest of our afternoon? And one guy had a badminton net and another guy had a couple of wood paddles and the kids wiffle ball and they just started kicking this thing around and it okay. evolved. But it's been around forever. And traditionally for the last, <clears throat> I'd say, 40 years, played by elderly people in most cases. And but then when COVID came about, just before COVID, it started catching fire. And when COVID happened, I think because we were in these isolated spaces, 
And we, you know, when we did want to socialize, we wanted to socialize outside somewhere. It just became a thing. And now it's growing. I think I read a number the other day, which was I had a double take on it. 58 million players now, which is shocking. Wow. I think some like crazy number, like I think it's like 180 pickleball courts being made every day or tennis courts being conver- converted into converted. Yeah. So yeah. there's interesting parallels, I think, from a kind of a, a sporting perspective between pickleball and snowboarding, as weird as that sounds. And I remember when snowboarding came in, skiers hated snowboarders, hated them, right? Yeah. And there were the same sort of thing that was going on. Like skiing had sort of a pedigree about it. And snowboarders came in, they were dressed differently. They were like rock music and smoking pot and like whatever. And it just really disrupted the whole ski industry. And so there was a real like, you know, kind of a real animosity between skiers and snowboarders. And the same thing is oddly happening with tennis and pickleball. Pickleball players are taking over literally over real estate at, at tennis clubs. They're converting courts. Public spaces are converting tennis courts into pickleball courts. Essentially, you could put two pickleball courts into every tennis court, the amount of real estate a tennis mm-hmm. court takes up. So you're basically getting twice the amount of people on court. And a lot of these tennis courts, they just sit empty all day, but pickleball players come in and they take, you know, take over. So there's tennis players. They're not really happy about losing these courts, but you know, in my, for my money, anytime when you know, you're getting people together and you're having more fun, it seems like a smart thing to do. Yeah. And now what about the rock and roll thing, the noise? What part does that play in this whole scenario? Well, it's culture? funny. It, I, and we'll talk, I think we'll probably talk more about it, but the a cornerstone, a cornerstone of, and a foundation of my brand that I'm building is all about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So right now, I'm sure you've seen or caught it out of the corner of your eye on local news broadcasts, and you can look it up on YouTube and things like that. But just like a constant stream of people complaining about living in close proximity to a pickleball court because it's Mm -hmm. loud. I mean, it's like if I, you know, that's louder than a tennis ball, right? So if you're doing that all day long and there's people like listening to, you've got your boombox out there or your Bluetooth speaker and you're cranking like, you know, Black Sabbath or whatever it is, hip hop and people drinking and these neighbors that are in close proximity to this once sort of quiet tennis court that's converted into this like, you know, cacophony of like, you know, fun and laughter and and loud pickleball noises. They're not liking it. So there's a big thing about, you know, trying to figure out how to make the sport quieter. That's like there's a thing that's happening and Uh they're shutting down courts and the city is coming in and like literally like putting up police tape and shutting down, you know, shutting down tennis courts and pickleball courts that people can't play. It's really funny because it's such a goofy little sport that is causing all of this, like, you know, man. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, I mean, the idea of a sport that doesn't take itself too seriously is another kind of pandemic and post pandemic, uh, you know, salve in a way like, 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 like we can't, we just can't, like you had that feeling about tennis. You know, I like tennis too. I'm not a yeah. great, great player, but I used to play when I was a kid and I liked, I like it. But yeah. the idea of people taking any sport too seriously, I had a dream last night for, for what this is worth. It was bizarre. I have bizarre dreams all the time. I'm starting to analyze them to see if I can get something out of them. Be careful. Be I, careful. I had a dream that I was drafted to play for the New York Jets and I, I was not happy about it. Not nor was the team. 
<laughs> and there and I went through all this stuff in the dream of the hazing and like they were beating the shit out of me because we were playing. We were supposed to go down to Florida to play the Dolphins. I grew up in Miami. I was a Dolphins fan, although I didn't really care. But that was my team for what it was worth. And this whole dream was about how do I even pack the uniform? I, they're like totally like dissing me. Fuck them. I don't want to play this sport. I don't even want to do this. I don't even and I remember talking to my, one of my sons who's much more into sports than I am. And he's like, it's all right. You know, it's like you don't have to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but now I'm contractually. I got to do it. And the guy says, I got to do one game. I got to play one game. And now I'm late. And and I just I don't know what the takeaway is, but I do feel like this interview now, the seriousness of everything is overwhelming. Yes. Tell me how intense, how intense it can get if it's not moving that fast or, you know, well, what is you know, what is the intensity level? Describe it to another sport. Like yeah, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. I want to address the <laughs> dream Sorry. first of all, because <laughs> it's like, I got to be honest, maybe we should do a little offline after this and start writing a script for uh, the, the sequel to Rudy. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. <laughs> Starring you. Starring me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so intensity-wise, it's funny. The thing that I think is most interesting about the sport is that the learning curve is you can learn to pick up this sport and be as good as anybody on court, I'd say, playing it for a week and a half, right? Okay. I mean, you really could. You could you it's if you pick up the sp- a paddle and you go out on a court and you play for two or three days, you're gonna be as good as 50%, 50 or maybe even 60% of the people out there. That's just the truth. That's excellent. Um, That's my kind of sport. It's a great sport, right? So now what's interesting beyond that is now that it's actually starting to get some traction and athletes are like really being drawn to this, right? Like I saw something the other day that was really interesting where a lot of uh, pro athletes are buying pickleball teams, right? Yeah. And they're getting into pickleball. They love pickleball. And the thing that that there there was like an ex-Orioles pitcher, I can't remember who it was. And he was saying like, now, you know, for years and years, he goes, you know, there's always been this debate, who's a better athlete, who's, you know, a football player or a golfer or a or baseball player. And he goes, we got all this shit for years about just standing around out in the field and not being real athletes. And we weren't fit. He goes, but now we see who's who on a pickleball court. He goes, I get together yeah. with my old, with old football players and old golfers and old tennis players. And we all play. And he goes, then and he goes, now we know, now we know who's the best athletes. So it's funny in that way, right? So you get these guys that are coming from, who are like really great athletes. It's like, you know, it's a hand and eye coordination sport coming to the sport. And there is a lot of, I think, competitiveness, right? Like I'm super yeah. competitive and I know anybody who plays this sport start, ends up being competitive. And so it does get intense. It gets really yeah. intense. I mean, sure. I, I've never seen a fight break out, but I've seen a couple of... <laughs> <laughs> you know, rackets being thrown and I've, you know, there's a great, there, this one kind of great aspect of the sport and it's similar to tennis. So in tennis, I'm not sure if you know this, but if you serve, let's say you're playing doubles in tennis yeah. and this is actually, this was put into play a couple of years ago. There was an actual example of this at a major event. Let's say that there's a person standing closest to the net and then there's the person receiving the, the tennis ball, right? The, the serve. And if the server by some chance hits the person on a fly with the ball at the net, it's their point immediately. It's the person who's serving, the team who's serving point. The same holds true in pickleball. So if you can, by some chance, if you got a guy and he's just not paying much attention or a woman and you decide 
this is not like a pro level thing, but on a on definitely on a recreational level, if you decide that you want to like as a server, try and hit them with the ball on the fly, you know, on a serve, that's your point immediately. It's called a nasty Nelson. Oh, so, I like that. Nasty. Yeah. So there's all these little things and it's just, you know, if there's a, there's a level of intensity that kind of centers around this like jovial nature that there's right. never been a moment, like you're in these points, they're super intense. If you watch pro pickleball, on ESPN or on TV right now, you'll see these guys are like, it's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then slow, 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 what they call dinking, right? Little small shots over the net. Right. Okay. Like these like volleys that are like rapid fire. It gets intense and it's fun, uh, but it always ends in like a handshake or a laugh or whatever. I, I've actually seen fights break out on tennis courts, you know, tennis oh, players. Take God. Themselves oh, yeah, of course. Seriously. But I've of never course. seen that in pickleball ever. And I've played yeah. a lot of courts now. I was thinking of, you know, it, it might be fun to have, I mean, with all the people you know, you could probably get some celebrity athletes to come on board as oh. uh, do endorsements or do a commercial or something. It would be funny to have Roger Federer come out of retirement, you know, like pull a, like a Tom Brady, like you think he's going to retire, but he's not going to retire. And then he he's coming back, but he's coming back to play pickleball yeah. or pickle riot yeah. you know for the 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 biggest sponsor in the little mouse in the pickleball arena i'm sure mm -hmm. that is there pickle other than the the racket and the ball are there pickleball is there pickleball gear yeah i mean you know that's one of the reasons that we goggles would this, be fun right yeah goggles are good <laughs> goggles and, and protective eye gear yeah exactly Pickleball goggles. <laughs> good for speeds of up to six miles per hour exactly exactly but you know i'm trying to think there's probably not but you know i see some people show up with some weird stuff like you know i saw this a lot of a lot of elderly players who have been around a long time, they have a lot of devices. Like I see people who don't want to bend over that extra right. inch to pick up the ball. It literally is an inch. They've got a little suction cup that they've mounted on the bottom of their of their racket. So they just they they just take their racket and, they, and the suction cup grabs the ball and then the ball is stuck to the bottom of the racket and they pull it off and then they can serve. So they're walking around with these suction cups on the bottom of their racket. There's stuff like that, which is insane. Those are There's awesome. That's so perfect. That's perfect for me. That would have been perfect for me at 18. I was that lazy. <laughs> it was, it's not about my back or anything like that. It's more, you know, I couldn't wait until I could groan. Exactly. I was like, you know, as a young person, I, oh, there we go. Okay, go ahead. What else? Oh God, there's a what else have I seen? Oh, I've seen the, a really good thing. Somebody converting like weird little fanny packs that were made out of mesh that they held the balls in, which is weird. So you just see like you know older gentlemen with a mesh bag with two balls hanging down around their waist. It's not. It's really attractive. It's just that kind of stuff that just brings you to the sport. It's, it just draws you in. Well, just the idea of an old man and a mesh sack <laughs> for his balls is already sounds almost wrong, almost it's dangerous. So right. Yeah, that's exactly almost dangerous. Right. But <laughs> and, and is there like an is there an age group for I mean, obviously, the, the elderly thing, I get I get that. But I think that's funny that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there it definitely with the music and with the you know your audience. Let's say your target demographic for the Pickle Riot brand. 
yeah. is not specifically an elderly. We're market. very specific. We're, we're, we're targeting between the ages of 66 and 67. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> and if that, and if, and if that lady doesn't want it, we yeah. can sell it to other people. There's one 67 year old woman that lives in Boca Raton that we're like making clothes for. That's uh, what we're, yeah. That's what we're... <laughs> well, you know what? It's a matter of quality and the ticket. If exactly. your shirts are going for $85,000 a shirt, then okay, you can make a brand out of just making exactly. for that woman exactly. and just make sure you know who her next of kin is and that they're on board to keep patronizing your brand and you'll be, exactly. you'll exactly. be fine. Exactly. You know, it's funny. I don't, as much as we're talking about age, I, well, look, I'm, first of all, I have to full transparency. Uh, I'm not young myself. I'm 56, right? Yeah. So I'm Me moving too. faster towards, you know, being the guy with the mesh ball sack than I am, you know, <laughs> the, the cool guy walking on court. So, you know, but look, it, I've played against 75, 80 year old people who have cleaned my clock, not joking, because it's not a sport where you can muscle your way through it. Now you can in some instances, but it's a very like, it's like a crafty cat kind of, you know, kind of sport. There's a little bit of chess involved in it more than, you know, just brute, you know, force. So, and and what's interesting is that there's a lot of kids that play the sport who are playing with adults. And I've seen like 12 year old kids, like take out 35 year old, like great players. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting sport in that respect. There's no real boundaries. Um, The predominant sort of growth space where I think it's happening is at 35 to probably 50 or 60 years old, you know, Mm -hmm. like, look, 60 isn't 60. And you know, no, it's not. No, it's like, it's like, you know, it's different now. You know, if at 60, I'm hoping I'm still going to feel like I'm in my 30s. You know, that's well, 60, honestly, you know, all kidding aside, 60 is like 40 in a lot of easily in a lot of ways, like the way people felt at 40 when we were young, the way our parents felt or or people and, you know, was that also there was this mindset of retirement. You know, we as artists and and, you know, people working in in entertainment and other things. Yeah, sure. People always had an idea of working longer. Entrepreneurs work long. But now it seems the mindset of activity beyond 60. And I've heard it like in the last couple of weeks, I I heard it. You know, we recently heard, sadly, Jimmy Buffett passed away and, you know, and he was 76. Now, when I heard that, I was kind of stunned because he just didn't seem, I knew he was in his mid seventies and I knew he hadn't been in great, great health. I didn't know exactly what it was, but it was like, it was a shock at, even at that age, that age meant nothing. 76, no, 76 I, I, isn't, you don't get that feeling like, Oh, well, it's okay. They live hundred percent. They live a long life. Mid eighties, nineties, Bruce Springsteen's mother is still alive. Yeah, no, seriously. She's I mean, look at Bruce Springsteen. I mean, look at Bruce yeah, Springsteen. But that's what I'm saying. But his mom is still alive. I, I you know, saw that. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw Danny Elfman. You know Danny Elfman? Yeah, yeah. The composer. Okay, so Excellent Go Boingo, like amazing, right. you know, composer for all the Tim Burton films and, and all the Marvel films. I saw him in concert, like, I don't know, like three weeks ago, right? This guy was, he's ripped. He looked like, I was just like, there's no, he's just had like a 24 pack. <laughs> And then he was oh my just, gosh. Like, 
big, big and long, long hair. And he was just like a tattoos everywhere. And I was like, I asked my wife, I'm like, how old do you think he is? And she looked it up on her phone. He's 70 years old. Yeah. And he was crazy. Killing, killing. And I was like, do I think he just is awesome because I'm 56? Or I mean, he's seven years old. He is killing it. He looked like he was 20. Well, no, he probably looked like he was 40 years old and just ripped. Yeah. But it was shocking. I was like, what? So I, it's interesting. I think that I think about age a lot. And because I have younger nephews and nieces and things like that. And the interesting thing is that that the cultural gap between me and them is is so much more narrow than it was between even my dad and me, even to this day. Right, right. right. Because I listen to, I turn them on to like all kinds of like hip hop and all kinds of stuff that's like emerging. I My playlist isn't the playlist of a 50, what I would imagine a 56 or 57 year old to be. I, you know, right. and I think that happens a lot now. And And the other thing that's interesting culturally and I don't mean to get off on a little sidetrack here, but you know, if you're if you're 20 years old, if when we were 20, think about the the cultural, just the the bandwidth of amount, the kind of music that we had access to. I wasn't going to listen to something from 1940, or I wasn't going right. to listen to something from 1950. I might listen, I would listen to something from the 60s. So really, I had like from 60 to probably in, when I was 20, I was probably 1984 to the 80s. So that's like 20 years worth of music. If you're 20 now, you've got like 50 years worth of amazing music that you can listen to that's totally relevant today. Like you put yeah. on the stones and it's like, yeah, I get it. Like no big deal. If I, you know, and then you could turn right around and listen to like, you know, Doja Cat. It's like in the same playlist. And that's that's a really interesting thing because I think what it's done is it has narrowed that age gap, that cultural yeah. age gap that we used to once have. And so doing so, our generation is younger. We have access to younger content. We have access to younger things. We we are just younger in our mind. And I think that that's making a big difference in how we age. Well, what I hope to see with all of that, because that's all true, what you said, is that, you know, like I'm hearing music from the, from the 50s seep into the music that, you know, tweens and teenagers yeah. are listening to, you know, artists are sampling stuff and yep. it's in a way that is both classic and modern so yeah. that it's not just, you know, a cover. It's yeah, something absolutely. that there are artists out there doing very cool stuff that, you know, in court. and what I hope it will do is bridge the gap so that when someone my age hears it, they don't just feel like, and that's not even my generation. I just happened to, when I was a teenager, I listened to my mom's records and had all these records from the fifties and sixties, yeah. all these crooners and stuff. I just loved it. Yeah. So, you know, even the seventies was, you know, like I'm exactly your age, but yeah. it's like, you know, and, and for us, we see like Billy Joel, Elton John, those people yeah. Yeah. that are either still doing it or slowly retiring. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Elton John was supposed to have retired. To wheel him out onto the stage. And well, he plays... he's he's phenomenal. I mean, incredible. I, I have a I have a friend, Adam Chester, who who does all of who rehearses all his band stuff, Elton John's band stuff. And that tour, they just kind of finished. But now they're still doing, you know, shows and they're doing it's amazing. It's amazing. But the fact is that the relevance is like you point out, it's kind of that gap is closing which is really interesting. And I wonder why that is. I'm glad we went on that tangent. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting because it does speak to the through line was the demographic. 
Tell yeah. me a little bit about what you're hoping to do with Pickle Riot, because the whole reason we're talking today, and I'm thrilled that we are because it's great to reconnect and everything, but is because this caught my eye. When when I saw the graphics on Instagram, I also thought, oh, I don't know anybody else who's doing a pickleball brand right now. And it's so hot and you're kind of right on the cusp of it. This obviously is not something you started yesterday. So what do you see? What do you what do you want to see happen with it? Well, the the long and, and short of it is about in March, I was doing a bunch of reading about AI, right? And I immediately like saw the writing on the wall, like immediately uh-huh. that my career as a creative was over. And I don't mean to sound dystopic or or pessimistic or down in the dumps about it, but it was really clear to me that if I could go on to ChatGPT and ask it to write the opening sequence to you know, a script I'd been working on that I was having trouble with, and that it could give me five versions of that opening script in 15 seconds, then it was over for me. It was over. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I just was like, okay, so where will I, pro- where can I, where, what can I do in, my, in the latter years of my career? Because I don't want to stop working. I want to work forever. Right. Um, I'm creative and it's, it's like my lifeblood. But what could I do where I could have an income and enjoy myself and whatever? And I had been playing pickleball and I thought, well, maybe, you know what I'm going to do? I think that there'll be some insulation maybe. And maybe I'll be able to insulate myself a little bit if I start a company. Because I had this thought that the people who probably will not be harmed too much, but at the same time might be able to take advantage of some of the amazing things that are about to happen with AI would be business owners. It just made sense to me. Like I, as I, right, thought, right. I thought to myself, like I have spent my entire career serving business owners and, and like building brands for these people and, and doing what I do. And they've benefited from it and I've benefited, but they've benefited far greater. But I also know in that over the last 25 years doing what I do, my day rate has exponentially shrunk, shrunken, mm-hmm. you know, so it just has. And I think you probably, everybody you probably talk to in our business that's happened, right? Right. right. So yeah. it just made sense. Like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to start this brand because I don't think I'm going to have much of a career in creativity, you know, as far as a writer, a director, a brand builder. So I did. The first thing I did was I, I thought, well... I looked around the sort of landscape in pickleball, and I thought the number one thing that it was lacking was just a cool, like apparel brand. Like every, every when I would go to try and get a pickleball shirt, or if I was like, I wonder if I can find something with the pickleball on it or something cool. Right, it right. Would always be like a pickle holding a racket, you know. And it's just like, and I the pun, the pun yeah. or spoof of a of a sport rather than the official gear. A hundred percent. There might have been it, you know, those that apparel might have been reflective of some of the older people who were playing at the time, you know, like there was like, Oh, I got my grandmother, a tennis a t-shirt with a pickleball holding a pickle, holding a racket. Yeah. It just didn't make sense and resonate to me. And I was, I'm, you know, listen, I started my career off in fashion advertising. I was, right. I was a creative director on Levi's and, you know, did a lot to shape that brand back in the nineties. Um, so I have this affinity for, for fashion and clothes and things like that. And I was like, I just can't find anything cool to wear. So essentially it started because I just wanted to wear some cool shit. I'd like, what am I going to wear out on the court? I want to show up. I want to, when I show up on court, I want to look different. I want to be unique. I want to feel like I got some attitude. I want to feel like I'm bringing some game on the court when without before ever like hitting a ball. I, you know, I don't want to look like I'm trying too hard. I don't want to, you know, it's like all those things. Right. So I thought I'm going to, you know what, I'm just going to start making my own clothes that, that do that. 
Like I'm just going to start yeah. making t-shirts that do that. So I, I did, I just started, I made a couple t-shirts and what have you. And then people were like, that's really cool. And that's super neat. And well, that's, and then I just started, I sat down and I built the brand. I created a, like I do for any of my clients. I sat down and I went through the entire exercise of building a brand foundation really deep, deep diving into what the brand was about and developing a name and just essentially creating a brand from the center out. Right. So it's not like, Oh, so that, so that it would have like longevity for years. It's the same thing I've done for every client I've ever worked for. Um, And so that's what I did. I, you know, I, I started developing this idea of the logo, which was, it's a, it's a spiky pickleball. This right. like, and it, which looked sort of like a, a what I think they call a morning star or a mace, you know, like an old medieval like weapon, like a throwing star or, or a throwing star. Yeah, yeah, uh, I mean, like I, I started thinking of it as like there were these balls on the ends of these chains with the, the medieval like guys would hit each other with. Oh, and yeah. I thought that's interesting. And so I started to develop that. And a, a great designer that I know, John Ritt, who is phenomenal logo and brand developer. Uh, I had him kind of him refine it and it just came back and I was like, this is it. This is like the mark. We've got that now. And now let's just start developing clothes. And so I had, when I developed the brand foundation, I had really clear idea of like what it wasn't and what it would be. So no puns, right? Zero puns. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be built on like, it was going to be a disruptor brand or an outlaw brand, right? That was the number one thing that would give me a lot of rights to fuck around with things. Right. I didn't right. To be the Roger Federer of it. I wanted to be the John McEnroe of, of pickleball. And I felt like it was a good place to be because the sport itself was a little bit of a disruptor sport. Yeah, a little subversive. Yeah. Totally. So I thought there's nobody else doing that. There's nothing else in this space. And even still to this day, I don't see anybody doing it. There's one other company that I think does something interesting, but there's no one doing what I'm doing. And then I just set out to start building the story, right? Like, so, you know, Long story short, like b- building a brand really is just about telling a story, building a story, right? Yeah. It's like it's just a long-term kind of relationship that you build with somebody and you ask them to come along for the story and, you know, you they just get involved and then they become part of the story. And, you know, like any great brand like Nike or any of that, inevitably the brand becomes sort of so ingrained in who you are that it's difficult to find the boundary, right? The, mm-hmm. the lines are blurred. I'm a just do it kind of guy. You know, I take that on as almost an ethos of how I live my life. But the, the crazy and probably fucked up thing about that is it's just an advertising thing. Right. It doesn't, doesn't mean any. It's not. Well, it means what you take it to mean. That's what yes. think different doesn't really mean it. Think different is just it's a little bit of inspiration. Yeah. And the point is what I always tell people is that every brand is personal because behind every brand is somebody's ethos. Somebody, whether it was Phil Knight running through the woods in Oregon or it's somebody else or it's, you know, it can be any kind of inspiration, spark, any spark. And that's why, by the way, I want to take this opportunity to disagree with you a little bit about yeah. the death knell of the creative industry yeah. because- I think that, you know, and I, and about a year ago, I started to get into chat GPT and I, I just ch- checked everything out and I didn't take a defensive posture. I did feel like I came up with some taglines for it where I said, I thought, you know, when it's really not that important would be a chat GPT, because the fact is that still this great technology is missing that spark. Yeah, It is amazing 
it's amazing in the context of, oh, it took 10 seconds. Yeah. But I mean, have you ever read a book and said, this is a fantastic book because it only took 10 seconds to write, you know? And, yeah. and so I feel like part of what I'm doing now is filling in that spark. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think it's a great tool. I think, I think AI has all kinds of functionality and all kinds of utility that is fantastic. But we shouldn't forget that we're human and we actually have the upper hand in a way. The fact that it's not sentient means that, you know what? I'll tell you what, AI doesn't give a shit whether it lives or dies. You know, it's- Yeah, it's, yet, yet. No, yeah, right, yeah. Well, but that's up to us. That's what we do. That's what we do with it. But I, but the fact is, I think that little spark, if, if all I do the rest of my career is champion that little spark of specialness, wit, cleverness, originality, which- isn't about the fact that that the technology will get better. Of course, it'll get better. Yeah. But it's like, I love the challenge of, I'm going to fill in that little bit of, I have a company called Humanize <clears throat> that will take a look at AI and yep. generated content and add that spark. And yep. I'm also creating a way of interactively working with clients to extract, if you will, almost like a scientist does, extract that DNA, that creative DNA, yep. and and save it in a way for them, shape it for them so that they know how to use it, whether or not they use AI at all. Because yeah. that little spark is missing and it will not be the same. And I think everybody knows that. It will not be the same. Now, but I get what you're saying, Sean, which is that, yeah, but if a computer can write a a spot if a computer can write a 30 second commercial for a brand why not you know why do they need us why do they need or, us or, to generate or yeah well yeah so i 100 agree with you and when i yeah. think about it you know, from a positive perspective and using it as integrating it into part of my workflow i think that right now where it's at yes 100 like and i'm going to be 100 transparent right now the name of my company was created by ChatGPT, right? So oh, Pickle Riot was, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. So I went into ChatGPT. I, I filled in like I'm a disruptor brand. I said you are an expert, you know, at, at naming companies. I gave it like all of these like reference points, and I said, please give me ten names for an outlaw pickleball brand. And it had like nine that were just total shit. And then the last <laughs> one was Pickle Riot, and I was like, that's awesome. That's right. awesome. And that's exactly what I needed. And so I used it in that respect. Now, what that did, if I well, back- Well, now I'm if, depressed. Uh, yeah, now if I, I backtrack- no, no, but- Seriously, <laughs> if I tell any of my writer friends that, they disown me. They're like, dude, right. what? You know, like, but the truth is that, yeah, I mean, I've used it that way. And it is great because it is a spark, right? It, right. It, that, that's a perfect example of it being a spark. You know, ChatGPT right now doesn't write things perfectly. It doesn't. No. But it is... Or accurately, necessarily. That's I correct. Mean, that that's certainly correct. can be fixed. You know, the fact that I've had it pull quotes from my clients that my clients didn't say and attribute it to my clients. And I'm like, ooh, that, that's wacky. That's yeah, dangerous because like, people assume... Yeah, yeah, I think they call, they call those hallucinations, I think. It's basically where ChatGPT right. will yes. lie 
And then it will make something up to sound like it knows what it's talking about. And then if you call it on it, it goes, oh, yeah, you're right. I was It's wrong. a bullshit artist. Yeah, it's, it's a, a bullshit, bullshit artist. artistry. Yeah, I get it. But go yeah. ahead. I oh, well, but I, no, I, I mean, I don't want you to go down the rabbit hole because I mean, this is I literally will come back and do a whole nother show with you on this because I am so deep into it that okay. it's crazy. But I think that this the way I think this curve is going to go is I think it's going to be a lot of what we're talking about now, which is really exciting and really amazing. And there's going to be all this incredible stuff that happens. It's going to happen over the next maybe three years, two to three years, max, maybe even two. You're going to see things like you're going to just see amazing things. We're going to be blown away by it, right? Yeah. And it's going to be incredible. And it's going to make our lives a million times better. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, this is this is fantastic. And then like, oh, fuck. Like it's going to be that fast. It'll uh-huh. happen that fast. It'll just turn on a dime, I think. And and I think like maybe I'm wrong. I hope I I hope I'm wrong, but I just I feel like it is something that it's got such far-reaching ramifications that I just have an incredibly dystopic view of what the future looks like regarding AI in general. I, I mean across all the all all fronts. Yes, and I don't and I and See the thing is I don't I don't think we're in disagreement. I think where where we're aligned even or what I the point that I wanted to make is that for my part I feel energized and excited about human creativity. Yes. and innovation. Yes. And this does nothing to dim that excitement. Yes. as a in the global picture our is our society, you know, doomed to consume itself and burn itself out and, and fail? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, listen, you know, that's I just that science. That are... science, honestly, Sean. I don't think that's like you know any kind of br- brilliant observation. But yeah, yeah, well, every no, society you, yeah. does. You and I are in a hundred percent agreement on that right now. Like I, I do, I think it's one of the most exciting things to happen for creativity in, in a long time because it's this new thing. Right. And I can yeah. tell you, like, there are just things that, I mean, a perfect example is it, it you can just type in a prompt and then all of a sudden you have this amazing thing that was created. Right. Uh, this is, and it can just be a, a, it could be a drawing and that drawing could then like inspire you to do something else, tell another story or do what else. It, there is this like access to a sort of creative, like you said, spark or variable that we haven't had before. And I think history has well t- has shown to us that when things like that happen, we go through these incredible, amazing creative growth spurts as a race. You can look at look go back and look at painting. You could look at things like, yeah. for instance, you can look at Dutch realism, right? For the Dutch, for years and years and years and years, decades, they refined the art of painting things that look photorealistic, right? Come up yeah. with tools to do that, et cetera, et cetera. And then the moment the camera was invented, they're like, oh, well, that's- yeah, We don't need what, that. What are we doing do that now? anymore. And then right after that is when things like expressionism happened and things like Picasso and Cubism and all of these things, because they, they turned away from this other thing to pursue this other thing. And then a whole new area of, of art opens up to us that we never had creativity that we, that we never had access to because of that. So yes, big things when they happen, they do offer opportunity, especially creatively. So I agree with you 100% on that. 
Well, I'm glad we went down that road. It's good that we caught ourselves a little bit. We could have, you know, continued that <laughs> just in a circle and then come back like a month later and be like, have our wives ask us, what happened? Where are you guys? What's going on? And I'll tell you where I won't be. I won't be playing for the Jets. Fuck <laughs> them. I'm not doing that. Know. I know. I'm not doing it. So listen, okay. So as we circle around to the world of Pickle Riot, and I love what you've shared about it. I'm a big fan of it. I love the energy that's in it. And I love the fact that you connected the dots between something that's a part of the zeitgeist culturally right now. By the way, anything that irritates people even a little bit is good and is a good sign. So the fact yeah. when I saw it, when I did see out of the corner of my eye, you know, news reports about people complaining about the noise. And um, I also spend as much time as I can, but I spend some, a lot of time in Palm Springs. And when I was through there, you see in all the neighborhoods there, the pickleball thing was starting a, a year or so ago, it was like starting to get like real regular so I, I love that you're right there at the intersection of it. Yeah. And what are you planning to do to get this brand in front of people? Because obviously, yeah. even if it, you're not worried about, you know, I got to make this brand work. This brand's got to work. This got to, you know, you're still yeah. hoping to grow it. You're invested in it. There's, you know, it's not just for kicks, you know, no. it's not just for fun. But no, it's, it's fun. Not. It's not. It's not. It's become. So look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I want to be the number one player in this space when it comes to a, like apparel and it comes to coolness and it comes to like fun and it comes to, to like, you know, a little bit of a disruptor kind of attitude. I want this brand to be synonymous with that a year from now. This brand, I you know, I have aspirations and, and very clear goals that I don't I think are achievable of sponsoring massive ten, uh, pickleball events and being number one sponsors here and there and inevitably finding partners that understand that right and they want to invest in the company. I have every expectation that we'll do that. There's no reason not to. The, the, the brand itself is super strong. It's super clear when you see yes. it immediately, even in the logo, you know what it's about. I get it. So whenever you have, I think whenever that exists, then you will find people who will just naturally align with it or they won't, right? Yeah. And I think that's good too. I think there's a certain amount of polarization that's involved with this brand, right? So I, I like that idea. Like we don't have to be liked by everybody. We don't want everybody to love us. We're, we're not made for everybody, but we know who we're made for. And if those people get it, then we're stoked. And so, but yeah, that's the goal. And then the way of doing that is- you know, look, we're small. We don't have a lot of budget. We just don't. So sure. you do a lot of stuff on Instagram. We try to, I, I try every time I do a post on Instagram, I try to make it like as, as kind of funky and weird as possible in some cases, or there's some buckets that I fill every time I do an Instagram post or a content development. And right now, one of the buckets I'm filling is this sort of like disruptor kind of, you know, fuck you kind of bucket, which is you know, everybody's complaining about the sound of pickleball and they're trying to figure out how to make it quieter. And so I'm doing a whole campaign right now where we've got like, I'm doing all these like things where I'm taking stock footage of scientists in laboratories with this little ball that's like bouncing and like vibrating. And it's all about, we're trying to figure out how to make the game louder. Right, so, right. I love that. So, you know, <laughs> so, so it's like, even if we could go, you know, like it's like, there's a shirt that, 
we're working on right now where it's like, you know, it said, FDA says these go to 11 and it's from the, it's from the uh, spinal tap. From where, the spinal tap. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. So it's that whole thing. Like we're putting in a tremendous amount of effort into getting it to go just a little bit louder. And our tagline from the very beginning was always play loud. So it was play loud. That's right. What, so pickle riot, play, play loud. loud, play loud and have a riot. That was it. So right. play loud was built into it from the very beginning. And so it's, it's for us, the more they want it to be quiet, the more we love it. The more we love the idea, the more that there are city councils and like people complaining and Karen's coming out and trying to shut down, you know, of course, <laughs> right. the more we love it. We just lean into it more because, and I think that kind of like rebellious nature is something that I think I, I'm gambling on it, but I think a lot of people like gravitate towards that, you know? Yeah. As a culture, and that's who we are. It totally is who we are. And this is a good way. It's like good trouble, right? It's a good yeah. use of our anger, whatever we yeah. want to call it, our, our kinetic energy, our, yeah. you know, just whatever we're feeling, the ferocity that we're that we're feeling, that fuck you attitude that we have. Yeah. Is, yeah. And if maybe, who knows, maybe it can unite people. Because yeah. it's in in favor of a game where people don't really fight, where people get how silly life is. Because yeah. some sports are so, you know, are literally so so precise and require so much training yeah. that you know the, the, it's admirable. But it's so discipline oriented that you know, okay, well, we can't all do that. Yeah. You know, can't yeah. all be long distance runners. We can't all be mountain climbers. Yeah, but we can all play pickleball. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's where you're and and I think the countercultural thing and the rebellious thing is awesome. And, you know, so I think I and also, by the way, the fact that you're on this show automatically guarantees that, you know, 10,000 people are going to are yes. going to hear about this brand. 10,000 people are going to are going to hear about this brand before they hear about anybody else's brand. And that's now, I don't know what the conversions are. We don't have the numbers on that yet. I don't know how many sales that translates into, but, um, but I think still. the numbers are three, three sales, every 10,000. Three 000, sales per, per 10,000? Yeah, Good. three per All right. 10, All right. Well, <laughs> We're happy the, with that ratio. What is the, what, based on what the product retails for and whatever it costs, I'm sure you're going <laughs> to, I'm sure on three sales, you're going to get something out of yeah. it. Yeah, so, $3,000 a shirt, three sales. Right, $3,000 a shirt. Is that supply and demand? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll, yeah. you know, we're not giving away shirts on this, you know, <laughs> on this program. That stuff's too, that's too, too fucking precious. That's right. That's right. We, that's exactly right. This is our entire inventory right here, by the way, because we have, we only made six shirts or seven shirts. That's it. So when they're gone, okay. that's it. It's over. All right, people. Well, those who are listening, I'm going to do my best to get this out there as soon as possible while this <laughs> conversation is hot. And before, you know, just some of this other stuff happens, AI, you know, the world <laughs> exploding, whatever it is. Yeah. Meteor. Exactly. You know, we, so where can where can people get this? Because I want to sell. You have more than seven shirts behind there. We do. You, we do. We have a whole bunch of stuff, and we're always making. You know, I think we we try and do a new shirt every week, a uh, new design. But we have like a ton of stuff. We we've got uh, hoodies. We've got. Uh, well, you're wearing a hoodie, an awesome hoodie, hoodie, a hat. Yeah, hoodie hats, and they go well together because it's not an overwhelming logo. Right. Yeah, but, it's um, a it's a simple little embroidery. So. 
The other thing is the idea is the brand is meant to be loud, right? But there's a whole part of the brand and the clothes as we go forward. We, we, we're launching the brand with graphic tees and hoodies because it's simple, right? To get kind mm-hmm. of proof of concept. Yeah. But now, right now, we're in the process of developing shorts and skorts, which are like a combination short skirt. And mesh panties, I would assume. Mesh male panties, man panties. That's exactly right. Mesh kind of like little, you know, ball sacks. (laughs) Well, for, you know. We're bringing it to market. So The mesh ball sack, Sean, is clearly just not, it's going to be part of the vernacular. We can't get all ruffled about that. (laughs) No, it's exactly right. So yeah, we do have a ton of things. And we and the idea ultimately was you you should be able to wear this stuff on the court and play pickleball and then like transition to the clubhouse and not feel like you just got off the pickleball court or look like you just got off the pickleball court. So we're gonna have like knitwear and all kinds of stuff and bags and all that stuff in the next year. But yeah, I mean that's the goal. And if you're looking for us, you can find us at Pickle Riot on Instagram, right? That's easy enough. Just type that in. Yeah. Same on Facebook. Our website at the moment is called, our URL is pklriot, pklriot.com. So if okay. you find us on Instagram, you'll find the website because you'll just get directed right. there if you click on it and all that. And then you you can purchase on uh, Facebook. You can purchase on our website right now. And we're out and about. We're doing events as well. We're going to all kinds of pickleball events and tournaments and stuff like that and doing pop-ups. And so, yeah, so we're trying to spread the gospel and, and see what happens. And have well, a good time I, while doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would, and by the way, I just, uh, I'm going to give you a, an unofficial plug. I don't know if anybody can get you to do this, but if anybody needs an end of the world kind of apocalyptic yet upbeat designer yes. slash creative who just has a very unique style and imprint but who recognizes that the end is nigh, then please uh, check out Sean Mullins. <laughs> You wouldn't I'll know it from his work. Do, yeah, we'll be available to do work all the way up until the end, which is probably a couple of <laughs> years from now. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing work all the way up until the end. I love that. <laughs> when do you need it by? That's our tagline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you've enjoyed this episode of Brand Voice Runway, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. The positive reinforcement keeps us going. Who am I kidding? Founders like us keep going regardless. Thanks so much for listening and make tomorrow greater than today.